very good to be with you again this evening to continue looking at God's Word in 1 Samuel. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get moving, or let's keep moving. Um, Henry read the first 30 verses of 1 Samuel 17, which we uh, are giving our attention to this evening, and I'll read the second part of this chapter. Hear the word of the Lord, fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word made flesh. And remember what Jesus said on the road to Emmaus, that all scripture speaks of him. So let us look for Jesus and let us long and expect to see Jesus in the reading and preaching of his word. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth ready and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. 
the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shearim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And this is the word that I may preach to you. What a story. There's one Bible story that almost everyone knows about, or at least has heard something about. It's the story of David and Goliath. This is a classic. Readers are held spellbound from beginning to end, even though it's a long story. We forget about it. It's length as we read it. But you've come to church, I trust, for much more than a good story. What a kid! In fact, David is a teenager at the time. Yet he has the manly courage to challenge the fiercest and most intimidating Philistine soldier with only a, a sling and a stone. What a courageous teenager he is! Teenagers, I don't think you'd let me or your parents, for that matter, get away with telling you to be just a little more like David. And if this is what you're thinking, you're right. What a God. What a Savior. That's what this story is all about. It's all about Jesus. The greatness and glory and grace of the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus, is what inspired David to do what he did. It's what enabled him to do what he did. Yes, the one who loves teenagers, who died for teenagers, who fills teenagers with his spirit, and who still does great things in and through them. He's the one who speaks to us. He's the one who reveals himself to us this evening in all his glory and grace. 
David and Goliath just happened to be two people through whom the greatest story ever told of Jesus and His grace, His death and resurrection comes into full view here in 1 Samuel 17. The scales, teenagers, and face plants that we see on the stage of Holy Scripture here fall into the shadows as the Spirit casts all the light upon Jesus, revealing His glory, His power, His love. May we all, and this is my prayer and I trust it is yours, may we all, teenagers, kids, and adults alike, be smitten this evening by Him, our Savior, our Hero, who calls us His friends. But back to the scene that Scripture stages for us here in 1 Samuel 17. Who actually is this Goliath fellow? Well, one thing is clear. One thing the Spirit makes very clear to us, right from the start actually of the story, is that Goliath is a serpent. He's a snake. Once again, there is a serpent in the garden. You see, we're not talking about weigh scales here. We're talking about reptile scales. The scales of a serpent. Notice that Goliath is dressed like a serpent. He's dressed like a snake. We're told in verse 5 that he wore a coat of mail. Another translation says a little bit closer to the original that he wore scale armor. And in the Hebrew, in the original text of this, this passage, all it says is that he wore scales. No mistaking what he looks like. That phrasing brings out his resemblance to a serpent even stronger. A, a, a serpent has skin made of scales. It's likely that Goliath was a descendant. Well, sorry, before we go to that. Goliath is wearing scales. Goliath dresses like a serpent. He acts like the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And God is going to deal with him as he dealt with the serpent. Notice the detail that's provided about Goliath in verses 4 through 7. The stage is being set for a dramatic showdown. Goliath here is called a champion. He's an elite, fully decorated Philistine soldier like a Navy SEAL. No one challenged Goliath, period. He's also identified as being from Gath. Again, a detail, when Scripture gives these details, is always for a reason. And that, the, the, the fact that he's from Gath explains his height. He's over nine feet tall. Can you imagine? Over nine feet tall. Do you, remember, do you remember the Nephilim, the Anakites, the giants in the land of Canaan that the Israelites were so afraid of, and rightly so? We read about them in Numbers 13. Well, it's likely that Goliath was a descendant of these giants 
who had relocated to Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod, as we're told in Joshua 11. In fact, the way it's recorded in Joshua 11, Joshua had, had succeeded in conquering the Nephilim giants, yet we're told in verse 22 of Joshua 11 that a small number of them survived. So Goliath was likely a descendant of one of these survivors. And now we know why God let him survive. He was going to display his power through Goliath as he did through Pharaoh. Notice also the detailed description of his armor. We're given a a head-to-toe description of, of all Goliath's armor and weaponry. Look at verses 5 through 7. There we're told he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail, with a coat of scales, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels. You know how much that is? That's 125 pounds. His coat of mail, his, his, his scales, <laughs> were... 125 pounds. And he had a bronze armor, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear, we're told in verse 7, was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 16 pounds. Just the head of the spear was 16 pounds. He also had a shield-bearer who carried his impressive shield. It looks like Goliath the champion will remain the champion if we don't have the reader's edge. It looks like David doesn't stand a chance. Poor little fellow. That's what it looks like. But let's remember what the Spirit has told us these last few weeks through Samuel. Remember what God had said to Samuel about Eliab, for example. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. I don't care how tall and handsome he is. I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as people see. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. You see, this also applies to our enemies. God is not impressed. He's not intimidated. And He's not swayed by impressive looks or human flair or intimidation. And the fact of the matter is, we shouldn't be either. Goliath not only looks intimidating, he has a mouth to match. Look at what we read in verses 8-10. through 10. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come, come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now the manner in which Saul and all the Israelites react to Goliath's threats is pretty telling, isn't it? Look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were shaking in their boots and their sandals. Now isn't this remarkable? Saul no longer trembles at the voice of God, as we've seen. When God tells Saul through Samuel that he has to completely destroy the Amalekites, not even sparing their king or their best animals, Saul doesn't care. He doesn't tremble at God's word and do exactly as God tells him to do. He just ignores God and does his own thing. But here he is trembling before this Philistine loudmouth. Now, before we get all hoity-toity, let's think about ourselves. Whose voice do you and I tremble at? Let's be honest now. Do we tremble at the voice of our loud-mouthed enemies? Or do we tremble at the voice of the living God. This went on for 40 days. We're told in verse 16, 40 days. 40. Does that make you think of? Doesn't this remind you of the 40 years of Israel's wandering in the desert? Doesn't it make you think of the 40 days of temptation which our Lord Jesus would later face at the beginning of His ministry. And notice what verse 16 says. Again, all these details, and and I wish we had more time. I wish we had a few more hours actually, but we don't. That's just the reality. But notice what verse 16 says. Goliath came forward every morning and evening and took his stand Morning and evening. Morning and evening were the times of daily sacrifice and worship in Israel. At the very time when the ranks of Israel were supposed to be resting in the presence of their God and seeking His face and worshiping Him and trembling before Him, what were they doing? They were trembling in the presence of their enemy. That's why it's so much better to be here in worship than anywhere else this evening. Like we noted earlier, David is still a teenager. How do we know? Well, remember that David is sent by his father Jesse to the battle lines to bring some food and also to see how his brothers are doing. Jesse wants a report from David. How are your brothers doing? So clearly, David is not yet a part of the army. He's too young to be drafted for army service. 
According to the Levitical law, only those 20 years old and upward, remember, were allowed to fight in battle. Biblical scholars who are much smarter than than me calculate David to be 17. Just a teenager. There's another fascinating detail here. Notice that Father Jesse sends his son David to his brothers loaded with food, verses 17 and 18. Again, a very important detail. Something similar had happened when David was taken into Saul's service to play the harp for him. Remember that at the end of chapter 16. Then too, Jesse had David loaded down with food and drink. This is the Spirit's way of drawing our attention to something important. There's something here. The Spirit doesn't waste his breath. You see, David is being prepared here to become a shepherd, not merely of his own or of his father's sheep. He's he's being prepared to become the shepherd of God's sheep and to feed them. We can hardly help seeing here a preview of what Jesse's greater son Jesus will do when he comes. He too, when he is sent by his father, will bring food and drink along with him. He'll come loaded with food and drink for God's sheep, for God's flock. In fact, he himself will be the food and drink, the bread of eternal life. David is a bread provider who is getting God's people ready to meet the real bread provider, Jesus Christ, the bread who will come down from heaven and give life to the world. You see Jesus here? With the arrival of David, there's the arrival of hope, nourishment, life, and blessing. In spite of this, because humans don't see what God sees, unless the Spirit opens our eyes, in spite of this, David still has to endure the insults of his oldest brother, Eliab, just as Joseph did when he brought food to his brothers. There's something there. Tall, handsome Eliab Remember him from last week, the one Samuel thought would be God's choice as the next king? Eliab despises his younger brother David. We're told in verse 28. He thinks it's his duty as the eldest brother to bring David down a peg or two, to remind him of his place, and above all, to, pardon the term, to shut his cute little face. Well, apparently, David is used to the verbal thrashings of his big brother. He says in verse 29, What have I done now? Typical young brother to an older brother. What have I done now? Was Was it not but a word, he says? That's the Hebrew way of saying, can't I even speak? 
Isn't this precisely how the Lord Jesus was treated when He was sent by His Father with the bread of heaven? As the bread of heaven? He was made to feel like a conceited, upstart troublemaker. He came to earth to provide His brothers and sisters with nourishment, but all He got in return from most of them was a verbal thrashing and dressing down and ultimately crucifixion. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. All this doesn't sway David from his determination to do something about this monster named Goliath. All Saul and Israel see as an unconquerable enemy. All David sees as a wicked beast. A snake that needs to be stomped on. For notice how David responds to Saul. Saul says to him in verse 33, You're no match for the Philistine. You're just an upstart kid. But he, this Goliath guy, do you realize that he's, he's been a, a decorated soldier since his youth? Like, David, are you nuts? But David responds by pointing out to Saul that Goliath is really no different from the other beasts that he's killed as a shepherd. Look at verses 34 and 35. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father and And when there came a lion or a bear and and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Sure, Goliath has a lot of experience. David's not stupid. But David has some experience too, killing beasts. And that's exactly what Goliath is after all. Notice how David puts it in verses 36 and 37. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this, this beast. This beast this Philistine. Now how's that for teenager backtalk? Sometimes what we adults call backtalk reveals who the fool really is. Well, sometimes it's not the teenager. I have teenagers, I know. And notice, too, that David recognizes that whether he is fighting a man or a beast, it is the Lord who gives him strength and delivers him. David realizes that, it's, that it isn't his own heroism that guarantees his success, but it is God's mighty hand of deliverance. David is just using the skills that God has given him. And this, isn't that exactly what God expects of us? Just, just use the skills and gifts that God has given you. Use the things that God has put in your hands. Bloom where you're planted, people say. 
You see how already in his youth, in his teenage years, David is placing his trust in the arm of God. He realizes that his strength comes from God and he realizes that this, this guy, this beast, this bully, has to be dealt with. He realizes that every sheep he has saved and every beast he has killed is evidence of God's strength, God's presence, with him, in him, and through him. Now this is the sort of faith we want to nurture in our children, in our teenagers. A complete and unqualified trust in God. Children, teenagers, young people, David was still a teenager. But in him you have a good mentor. One of the best you will ever find in seeking, following, and trusting in God. And I probably don't have to tell you how many people are trying to vie for your attention and be your mentor. It's not that complicated. It's really as simple as opening your Bible to the Psalms. The Holy Spirit put into David's mouth. Psalms like Psalm 18. Learn with David to put your confidence and trust in God alone, both in your achievements and in your failures. There are many vying to be your mentors these days, but few can compete with the one the Holy Spirit provides you in David. Notice the contrast here between David's attitude and Saul's. When Saul offers David his armor and weapons, Saul shows how much like Goliath he is himself. Goliath relies on his own impressive armor and weapons for victory, but so does Saul. Saul believes that in order to be successful, he has to be like the other kings. But not David. David doesn't need Saul's impressive armor and weapons They'll just get in the way. Rather, David goes out dressed like a shepherd. Here already, David is showing what kind of king he intends to be. Not a king like the other nations had, as Saul was trying to be. He's going to be the person, just the person God made him to be. The person he's quite comfortable being. And quite good at being. And that's a shepherd. He doesn't have to try to be someone else. Someone he's not. He's going to be who God made him to be. And he is going to be a king after God's own heart. A shepherd king. So David does what he does. He takes his shepherd's staff with him, like he had done so many times before. 
He puts the stones in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And he carries his shepherd's sling. He's ready to slay the beast that is threatening God's flock. That's what shepherds do. That's what he knows how to do. And that's what he's now setting out to do. Thus equipped, David goes out to meet his snarling opponent. Goliath carries on with his big talk. Look at the verses 43 and 44. And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. If he only knew what was about to happen. While Goliath boasts of his own strength, David boasts in the Lord. Listen to what he says again in verse 45. He says there, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. All his confidence is in the Lord and in Him alone. David is certain of his victory not because he's good with a sling and a stone even though he is, but because he's zealous for the name of the Lord his God. That's what makes all the difference, you see. That's a teenager with the Spirit dwelling in him. That's a teenager upon whom the Spirit of God has come with power. Against whom no one and nothing can stand. With that, David approaches the Philistine snake, slings a stone, and strikes Goliath on the forehead. We're told in verse 49, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Face plant. The Philistine hero Goliath meets the same fate as his Philistine god Dagon. Remember what happened to Dagon before the Ark of God's presence back in 1 Samuel 5? He did a face plant. You're allowed to laugh. Remember what Psalm 115 says. Those who make idols will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. From that perspective, Goliath's de- demise was entirely predictable. It's something David understood even as a teenager. The Philistine god Dagon face planted before the God of Israel, so so does Goliath. Goliath becomes like the God he worships and does a face plant before the living God. David's choice of a stone as a weapon is surely no accident either. Remember, Goliath has committed a capital offense. He has spoken blasphemy against the God of Israel. That is the worst offense. That is the worst capital offense. And you remember what the punishment for that is in the Old Testament? 
That's right, stoning. Goliath gets his just reward. Goliath becomes like Dagon in another respect as well. Remember what happened the second night to Dagon. And this is really comical. So again, don't hesitate to laugh, okay? What happened the second night to Dagon? The night after they had propped him back up. (laughs) He face-planted again. But this time his head and his hands came off. Just like Dagon with his hands cut off, Goliath too becomes completely powerless. And now also just like Dagon, he is beheaded by David. Goliath, flat on his face, hands off, head off. Just like his God, Dagon. Goliath lived like a serpent. Goliath dressed like a serpent. And he died like a serpent with a head wound. Crushed. Crushed head. David crushes the head of the serpent. We're told in verse 54 that David takes the Philistine's head to Jerusalem. And there's something prophetic in this action of David. For there in Jerusalem, at the place of the skull, remember what happens? Jesus Christ would one day deal the final death blow to the great serpent, the devil, when he died on the cross. When he died that gruesome death of crucifixion. There on the cross at Golgotha, Jesus would deal the final head blow to Satan, sealing Satan's final and complete destruction. God sits in heaven and laughs. Now we're told in verse 54 that after David defeats Goliath, he brings Goliath's armor to his own tent. Now why does he do that? Does he do that so he can show off his victory as a trophy of his his own prowess and success? Actually not. For we know from chapter 21 that David has Goliath's sword sent to the house of the Lord. This trophy is the Lord's. David keeps boasting in the Lord. David said that the victory was the Lord's and he means it. So he also wants God to receive the praise. He wants God to to have the trophy of the victory. Wherever and whenever this story will be told, David wants people to say, what a God. What a Savior. What about you? 
What do you say? What do I say? We still have enemies to deal with too. Just as the Israelites still faced the entire Philistine army after Goliath was toppled, they still had some work to do. But the beast has already been slain. Yes, we're still in a battle, but the beast has already been slain. All that is left for us to do is watch the enemy do a face plant again and again and again and again. Well, God delivers us. And we may laugh every time it happens again. In Jesus... Teenagers, kids, all of us have not just a mentor. We have a Savior. The victor. He has called you and me His friends so that we too can be just who He made us to be. We don't have to try to be someone else. We just have to be who God made us to be and do what He calls us to do so that filled with His Spirit, we too may go for the win and boast in Him so that He may do great things through us and in us to the surprise of others Yes, even to the surprise of those who think we don't have what it takes. Even the people who think they know the most about us. And to the surprise of the world. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Don't give up. God is infinitely great and before Him The enemy is puny. He's just a slimy snake. And God wants you to crush him. And that's the promise at the end of Romans, isn't it? He will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's God's promise to you and me and all who trust and boast in the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, clothe us now with your armor so that we're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You've told us that we're not just wrestling with flesh and blood humans, but against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Help us buckle on the belt of truth and the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness. Make our feet ready and quick with the gospel of peace. 
Help us in every situation to take up the shield of faith by which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Protect our heads with the helmet of salvation. Make us skillful with the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying for every single thing we need. Keep us alert and give us perseverance together with all your people. And when we win, let us boast in you. Amen.